1: Welcome listeners to another episode of the Oxygen Star podcast where we bring you your ABC's adventures books and conversations from 11,000 feet here in beautiful Mono County. I'm your co-host Stacy and with me is
0: your co-host Christopher.
1: And as always we have our intrepid producer Doug. Good morning Doug. Good morning, good morning. How you doing? Doing all right. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Yeah,
0: and happy to be back in the studio.
1: I know. <laughs> I forgot what it's like.
0: We were just talking, it's a little bit like NPR feeling or something, like almost.
1: I, I, went, I went with weekend update. But...
0: <laughs> For our Saturday Night Live fans. The,
1: yes. So, anyways, well, this is our very special episode that we've done for the last, since we started the podcast two be- years ago.
0: Becoming a tradition.
1: Yes. And we're so happy to have with us Dave Leonard, owner of the Bookie Joint in Mammoth Lakes. Welcome, Dave. Welcome,
2: Dave. It's good to be here, Stacey. We're yeah. so
1: glad to have you.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me again. <laughs>
1: We all, we obviously, we enjoyed this episode a lot. (laughs) I hope the listeners do too. So, we're going to start as we always do to sharing our favorite books of 2021. And we're going to go in a round robin fashion. As we
0: discussed just prior to starting to record. So, hopefully, that'll make sense to our listeners and keep things lively and interesting. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Christopher, uh, gonna you're going
1: to you're going to kick it off
0: yeah uh, uh normally we would draw lots, but I think I was overruled for alphabetizing this time, so i 'm going to change my name to a Z um, or a Z for our colleague uh, and guest this this episode for next year, so i go last um, yeah, so again, top picks of two thousand and twenty one it 's been a hard year as any good year in publishing there 's been a lot of great books that have come out, and I will just caveat at the beginning, as I do with all these lists. There's a lot that I left off that could have just as easily sat here that I thoroughly enjoyed or would want other people to experience reading. Um, But one of the great things about doing top picks is that you can listen. You'll probably pick up like one or two that you want to read or want to gift to somebody for the holiday season or want to find at the library. Um, And then there are probably a couple that you'll like, why did they recommend that? Well, let us know, right? Right. That's what these these lists do is they make us think about Good book. So I'm, I'm going to kick it off with um, one of the great books from the fall season. You may have heard about this. I've recommended it in the past. It's called The Matrix by Lauren Groff. Just came out this fall. It's a novel. As you guys know, I'm a sucker for history and historical fiction. And this is um, a book that is set In medieval time. Mm -hmm. So not not only is Lauren Groff a great writer, she's been nominated for the National Book Award in the past. Um, She's wrote Fates and Furies, which many, many people have read, Um, you know, but this is her first one set in a historical setting. So I was really excited about that. And I will mention, it was also nominated for the National Book Award, which um, just happened. And unfortunately, it didn't win. A great book did win, but um, this one didn't. But at least she got on the short list. Um, So the story of the book of The Matrix is a very modern one, again, set in historical context. She chooses as her protagonist, Marie of France, who was a real person who lived in England back in the 12th century. And this was the time of knights and ladies and chivalry and Eleanor of Aquitaine and King uh, Henry II and and their kids, Richard the Lionhearted and King John, which those of us who've read Sir Walter Scott growing up will remember these like colorful, colorful characters. Well, it, they're real people and this is set in that time. Um, you know, she, we, we know very little about her other than she composed poetry, like this was the time of troubadours and stuff like that. Um, and she dedicated some of it to the king so it's a possibility she was related to him mm-hmm. uh, and there's also some evidence she may have been in charge of a wealthy abbey which if you're like related to the king you probably would have been given some sort of role somewhere and this is the possibility that Groff uses as her starting point for this book um, you know she she sets it up um, saying that you know Marie's sent to run this abbey by by Queen Eleanor, um, because Eleanor wants her out of her court. She's not womanly enough. She's not feminine enough, you know, pretty she's enough, pretty enough get her away. I only want pretty things around me. Um, and so she sends her away to this struggling poor abbey as just a way to get rid of her. Um, but then, you know, Groff sets her story all the way up until Marie's death in her seventies, by which time she is single-handedly created one of the wealthiest abbeys in the country, right? Because she was handed a lemon and she was going to make lemonade out of it. And in doing so, she really pushes the boundaries of female empowerment in that old Catholic hierarchy through hard work, some subterfuge in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, these mystical visions that she reports seeing, and mystical visions become a part of this story. Now, because Groff closes Marie off in this Abbey setting, there are no male characters in this book. There are references to them, but none of them have voices, which makes it a very female book, mm-hmm. right? Which is yep. interesting. Um, And to keep her on course, Marie has to convince and entice the women around her to follow her path without seeming too heretic, because a lot of what she does over the course of her 70 years could be considered heretical Mm -hmm. by society at that time. And that's where the Matrix title comes in. It's not a reference to Keanu Reeves. (laughs) He doesn't appear in this book. Um, I like those movies, but this is very different. You know, the word is derived from mater, which is Latin for mother. And in ancient Rome, a matrix was a plant, like a mother plant from which seeds were taken to build out crops. And that's what Groff is doing in this book. She's using Marie as like a mother plant to see these different things and, and really grow this Abbey into something that will outlive her. And, right. um, I, again, you know, we chatted a little bit before the podcast. I love this writing. I love Lauren Groff's writing. It's very picturesque It's, it's very descriptive. Yeah. There are many sentences in here. I would stop and reread because I'm like, wow, I wish I was smart enough to write a sentence like that. Um, you know, and it's just that kind of book. It's not a it's not a page turner. You know, there's no car chases. Uh, it's set in medieval yeah. times. You know, in an abbey, but it's just exquisitely written, and it does kind of bring up some of these these women's issues in this unique unique setting. So,
1: you, I read this book also, and I I enjoyed it. And you referenced the seed, you mm-hmm. know? and that's one of the things that she does to replenish i guess mm-hmm. this abbey is she grows these orchards right. that had been dormant and the, the all the nuns in the abbey were starving and she really you know works hard to bring it back to life and make it profitable and um she's quite a a a hero yeah in, in a sense yeah not a superhero book at all but
2: <laughs>
1: she is quite the hero
2: yeah no, was the, I, I read this too. I, I liked it too. Um, did the that explanation for the title, was that in it? Did no. I miss it or you just did some research?
0: <laughs> I just did some research. Yeah. There is some, she does talk about it in some of her interviews um, and, and some of the reviews, but I, I mostly pulled that out because um, I just thought it was an interesting title for this story, you know. Um, so clearly, you know, she wanted us to think in a certain way. But I, I didn't think about it. I was thinking of she bought she she builds that maze that yeah that, of hedgerows or whatever that people have to walk through, mm-hmm. which also is a very medieval thing. But yeah, the orchards is another example
1: yeah. of that. Yeah. It's it was I don't I've I almost gave a spoiler away. And i so I'm not gonna say what I just <laughs> almost said, but it's the it's Lauren Groff has quite the vocabulary. It's, this is a great book to re- give to a, uh, you know, talking about giving right. books as gifts. This is a great book to give to a high school student who's going to take their SATs because it will force them to learn a lot of new words. <laughs> and that's a very good thing to have before you take your SATs. It's true. <laughs>
0: I love that. That's that's a great way to review a book. You're going to learn a lot of new words. You're
1: going to learn a lot. Of, I did.
0: I learned words too. It's great. It's awesome. It made yeah. me look up the word matrix. <laughs> but I would recommend it if, you know, especially as we're, you know, kind of heading into this nesting season, if you want to curl up with a nice cup of tea in a yeah. window and next to a fire. And, and, decompress. Read a book and decompress. You
1: know, yeah. it's a quiet book. Yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed it.
0: So
2: that's my lead pick. Dave, let's go to you. What's your lead pick? Okay. So um, my first one is Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. And this this is the novel that I was most looking forward to reading um, because he's one of my favorite authors. Right. Maybe my favorite author I like him a lot. Yeah. Norman and a – easy for me to say – Norman and a – I can't say it. <laughs> Nominali. Dystopian science fiction. Right. Um or speculative fiction. Uh, but the genre is not is kind of in, incidental to, right. the, to it. Right. Um, it's more of a vehicle for exploring other themes than technological advancement, which you would think of is probably the main theme of right. it, if you if you were to read it. Um but like all of Ishiguro's novels, it's not really about what it appears to be on the surface. Um, So did both of you read this book? I did not.
0: I did, and I have my thoughts on it.
2: Okay, I'd be interested to hear. (laughs) Um, But anyway, on the surface, the story is about Clara, an AF, or artificial friend. Um, She's designed to provide companionship to teenagers. Uh, The sun part is that she's solar-powered. Right. Uh, So she literally depends on the sun for life. And regards it as a benevolent deity, um, which I thought was totally believable. Yeah, Um, yeah. She begins the novel in a department store window, rather like a puppy, desperately waiting for some needy child to claim her. She's soon picked up by Josie and her mother and taken to to a remote house in the country. Josie is a sickly teenager, perhaps terminally so, And in perhaps the most disquieting part of the story is revealed to be one of the lifted, someone genetically improved and provided with greater opportunities uh, for uh, education. Um, And her illness is probably the result of this genetic manipulation. Right. Um, So why teenagers may require an artificial friend is one of the many disturbing questions Uh, that provoke an uncomfortable sense of unease. It's kind of an uneasy sort of uh, novel to read. Uh, We never really know the full story. Ishiguro implies this nightmarish near-future world, but doesn't give us many details. And this is because the story is told through Clara's android point of view, Mm -hmm. which is disconcertingly unlike our own. Uh, Clara's voice is kind of flat and stilted, and she's clearly a machine, but has just enough warmth to make her sympathetic yeah um her devotion and selflessness, for instance, are in stark contrast to a lot of the humans in it right mm. um, she also literally sees the world differently in a series of boxes and panels mm-hmm. it's you know you see it through her eyes it's it's very interesting so um Clara's deceptively simple, almost naive observations can uncover profound truths. Um, There's a part where she's watching uh, a group of teenagers and their very cruel behavior to one another um, and to her. Um, And it's this sort of weird staged interaction that they have. And she concludes that they fear loneliness, and that's why they behave as they do. I mean, it's a pretty yeah. profound thing yeah. for a machine to, to figure out. Um, and Ishiguro has said, and this is something that crops up in a lot of his novels, um, the paradox is that you can create quite a lot of emotion when you have a voice that isn't inclined to express emotion. Right. Um, and I don't know if you've read The Remains of the Day or Never Let Me Go, but the same thing happens in that with the yeah. sort of unreliable narrator. Um, and who doesn't express a lot of emotion, but there's a lot of emotion behind it. Right. Um,
0: I will say, I will interject, Never Let Me Go is one of the books I was thinking about constantly throughout reading Clara and the Sun, because I was constantly connecting to similar themes in that book and mm -hmm. comparing how he explores them in the two different novels.
1: So he's the same, he's the author of both, both books. Right. So I have a question, may I? So do all of the teenagers in this world do they all get artificial friends or only some teenagers?
2: Not all of them. Okay. I mean, they're expensive for oh, a start. Okay. Um,
1: it's interesting because these days, you know, where we're experiencing so many kids, particularly teenagers, you know, coming through the pandemic and everything, they're so they're so isolated. They've been cut off and you know that's quite a concept you know that for so many of these kids who who don't have friends that this could solve that i'm not suggesting we build <laughs> artificial friends by any means but it's it's an interesting concept
2: yeah, there's a, there's a lot of parallels to what we've been through uh, for the last uh, 2 years mm-hmm. um you know the kids being staying at home and going to school right. with it, uh, you know, In and the a, although he finished it before any of it started. Right. Wow. So it was a complete it's coincidence.
1: Really priescent.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I, I, um,
0: it is interesting that it came out during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I also couldn't help but think of Philip K. Dick, um, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Again, really decades old now, the inspiration for Blade Runner, but you know, artificial intelligence, robots that are almost human, you know, and how human they're allowed to be, you know, um, again, much less action. <laughs> but it, it just, it, it caused me to think of that book a lot too,
2: which I know a lot of our listeners have probably read. Yes. And I, I never read that book, but I am, I, um, I love the the, both of the movies. Both of the movies. <laughs> I, I always suspected that Harrison Ford was, in fact, a replicant.
0: <laughs> well, we'll let our listeners read those books So, as Oh, yeah. Well. yeah.
2: Books are much better.
1: <laughs>
2: um, should I continue with Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, Ishiguro drip feeds the little clues as Clara discovers more about what's going on in the world. Um so it's a little hard to talk about what actually happens in it without giving it all away. Right. Um, and, uh, so, and like all of his novels, it's told, told with extreme subtlety and restraint. Um, he's the most subtle author. I, I know it's just, so it's at one point you'll just, it'll just completely hit you. Right. You know, it's, it's this sort of emotional thing that, that, uh, right. that he's just been kind of drip feeding little, little things. Um, it's likely to divide opinion, I would say. I recommended uh, Never Let Me Go to one of the book clubs mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago and half of them hated it, absolutely hated it. So, that's one of my favorite novels of all time. And that's a what a book novel.
1: club is about, yeah, right? Yeah,
2: probably made for a good discussion. Yeah. yeah. I think the ones that hated it just didn't get it, to be honest. Um, it uh, sounds... you can you can can take that bit out that's that's, well no but it sounds like you know it's for
0: the reason you cited earlier it's not um it also is kind of proto fantasy sci-fi in a way but Mm -hmm. not right it's it's really a liter like this one it's a literary novel that brings in some aspects of things that just aren't real
2: um you know and it's and again it's just a vehicle for exploring other Mm -hmm. things and i think a lot of so the things that I I took from it is that it was a, it's a deeply deeply affecting poignant novel, mm-hmm. um, and quite profound too. Um, and it talks about a lot of a lot of his um, the themes that he goes through, what it's like to be human, to be alive, to um, the inevit- inevitability of death, and how we face that, right. and and what we. Um, how we respond to the innate unfairness of life of, right. of being mm-hmm. human, right? Um, but it has a lot of joy in it and celebrates the joy of being alive, right? Um, and um, you know the the um, the dignity that's inherent in living a simple life, um, right? Honestly, yeah, I agree with that.
1: It sounds great. I mean, I'm. My interest is peaked, and especially because I love reading about kids. Yeah, you know that's my favorite people to read about. <laughs> but um, is it set in you know where is the setting? Where does it take place?
2: It's somewhere in the in the states. Okay, right. I, I don't think they ever ever tell you exactly where. No. it is. Yeah. Um, there's a city. Mm. There's a countryside. Got it. But it's definitely in the states somewhere. Um, and a lot of the things you you recognize, and a lot of them are just totally alienal. You know, there's some machine that they never explain mm-hmm. what it is, but it's pivotal to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to kind of go along with it.
1: I don't know why, but I'm picturing in my head that robot, the red light, green light robot. Oh, no, you know, in the Squid Game, oh, no. <laughs> that horrible doll that that's what the artificial friends look like. So that's why I have to read the book so I can get that image out of my head. Because yeah. I don't think that's how she's designed. I
2: think she's supposed to look as much like a human as possible.
1: Is she supposed to look like her human that she's a friend with? Mm, no. no. Okay.
2: No, but she's, she's just like an android. Um... Cool. All right. Yeah. And that's all that I have to say about it.
1: Well, tell us the n- title and the author again, Dave.
2: Um, the um, author is Kazuo Ishiguro. Okay. And the title is Clara and the Sun.
0: And I will just say, Kasuo Ishiguro is one of my favorite authors as well. I've read just about everything he's read. And I think this is one of the... I waver between this and Never Let Me Go as being my, one of my top twos. And he's a great author to listen to when he, he's interviewed. So go on, go online to podcasts or whatever and listen, listen to him, to him talk name. about this book.
2: Okay. And his daughter okay. is a successful writer now too. Oh. So yeah.
1: It runs in the family.
2: He won the Nobel, Nobel Prize a couple really? of years before. Oh, yeah. for, for literature. For, for literature. Okay.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm gonna check it out for sure. So my first book um, to discuss today is was released in September of 2020, actually mm-hmm. the end of last year, mm-hmm. but it was released in paperback in February of this year. So I thought it still qualified. It qualifies, and it's called "Anxious People" by Friedrich Bachman, and he's a very prolific author. Um, Producer Doug, you read this book? I just no, like Bachmann. I love him. I've I've read almost all of his books and. They just keep getting better and better. Um, Bear Town, another book, was like my one of my favorite books of 2020. I just loved it, or 2019. Yeah. But um, so this book is very different. It does take place in Sweden, which is where all of his books all take place, up in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is about a a robbery gone wrong, and a so there's a failed bank robber. They, they are chased out of the bank by the people who work there because they, they're not very good at what they do, and they run up to across the street to a real estate open house where there is a real estate agent trying to sell an apartment. And the <laughs> bank robber runs in, guns blazing, and none of the people in the apartment at the open house at the time take this person seriously at all, but they're still trying to put forth their, their idea that they're serious. And so there's a lot of humor to this, but at the same time, there's a lot of pathos and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, sadness as you learn about the backstory of not only the bank robber, but all the other people that are in the open house at the time. And then they come upon a man who's hiding in the bathroom, who's not <laughs> didn't, doesn't even know anything was going on. I mean, there's just some absurdity to it, like in all of Bachman's books. Right. But yet it's as you get into it you see there's a little bit more going on with all of these people and it was just it was a joy to read it was it was fun it made, i cried it, it was all the feels right
0: <laughs> all the feels isn't
1: that what they say now all the feels um and so each each one of the the people in the book in this story they all have they their issues right some are depressed one is like imminently going to have a baby which i mm-hmm. thought would happen it didn't happen mm-hmm. but um you know and the couple that are going to have the baby they're not getting along and it's like oh no that oh, no. is not a good not a good thing and then there's this elderly lady who has the most um irreverence to the um the robber. She's like, I'm so old. I've lived my life. You do what you need to do, honey, because I'm, right. I'm over it. So, and she kind of gives this wisdom, imparts her wisdom of her life to all of these younger people. And it was just, it was great. It, um, he is such a master at developing characters. And I've discovered in this exercise of picking these books that we had to pick for this that. I really like books where the characters are well-developed and that I can connect with the characters, not necessarily the plot, but if I make a connection to the characters right off, I'm in it.
0: You're into character-driven writing.
1: Definitely, yeah. And he is so good at presenting these fully formed people that you feel like you know them.
0: So, uh, so sorry to interrupt, can I ask a question? Is it one of those books where each chapter is presented from a different character's point of view? Is that how he does it?
1: Not necessarily. He kind of folds them all in, you know, as he's, it's almost like how we're going round robin with the books. Mm -hmm. He kind of goes around the room at each point in time. And then there's a police officer and his son who's a police officer and they're trying to... to get to the bottom of what's going on in this apartment. They've been told there's a bank robber here, or there's a robber here, he's, you know, and right. they're trying to figure out what's going on. So it's their story as well. Right. And he does jump from person to person, but they're also entwined because the whole, pretty much the whole story takes place in this one apartment you know with yeah. or, or on the street below. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of places to go. scenery changes. Um but it was the ending brings it all together and you know I I loved teaching when I was a in, teaching fifth grade mm-hmm. teaching the book holes by Lewis Sachar because eventually all the characters come together and mesh together and that's kind of what, without spoiling anything that's kind of what happens here what happens here so, but just great i we always have this conversation well who who's going to play who in the movie <laughs> i couldn't help but wonder who is, is going to play who in the movie in the for this book and
0: uh, um, is there a that role that for fun. Keanu Reeves because there wasn't a role for him
1: in this matrix it, no there wasn't was there <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure we we'll, we can find some role for him but did, did, loved it. Did you read this book, Dave?
2: I did not read this book, but it's been one of our best-selling books this year. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really, really good. Yes? I loved it. I may have to. Yeah, <laughs> it, you'd enjoy it. It's just got that quirkiness that he has.
0: Well, it's a talent, right? I mean, writing character-driven novels, it's, it's uh, when you're crafting a story that involves a group of people, there's a difference between having a crowd and a group, and that group yeah. is... You do give each person motivation and voice so that you understand why they're a part of this conglomerate and yeah. what their motivations are and how they may affect outcomes as opposed to, you know, a couple of characters with voice and the rest is just backfill. Background, you know? right? You
1: know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a talent.
0: It's yeah. a talent to be
1: able to and do he's, that. And he's he's so he's so good at it.
0: So he's having a moment then, right, Dave? I mean, you said this is one of his best selling books this year, or your best selling books this year. This and
2: I think all of his books have yeah. been on the, on the bestseller list. Yeah, yeah. Every every one that comes out. That's great.
1: Yeah, I just I've just become aware of him in the last two years, but I've I just keep picking up everything that I find that he's written before because I know it's a guarantee enjoyable read. Awesome. So
0: a good pick for yay. this time of year then.
1: Yeah, lots of fun. So. Yes, awesome. So we're back to
0: yeah, you. Yeah, we're back to me for my next pick. Um, I picked this one's very different from my first one, and it's kind of like why you picked "Anxious People." Um, I picked "Better Luck Next Time" by Julia Claiborne Johnson, um, who I will tell you is a delightful individual. We were very privileged to have her join a Zoom online book mm-hmm. club with us over the summer, and she yeah. um, is just a treasure and a wit. And we still get to kind of keep in touch, which is also fun. But uh, that's not necessarily why I picked this book. It's actually a really good pick. Um, Better Luck Next Time came out early in 2021. It was in January. Uh, it got some starred reviews, got really good reviews elsewhere. It was nominated by the California Indie Booksellers Association for its Golden Poppy Award. So it didn't win, but um, it made the shortlist, which was, I thought, well-deserved. In the story, the main character, Ward Bennett, is a 25-year-old ranch hand on a dude ranch in Reno in the 1930s, which kind of sets the setting, right? He was raised, Ward was raised by a previously rich family out east who lost their fortune during the depression. Um, So he's come west to kind of find himself and uh, his future. And the book is told through his voice, looking back from a point of old age, you actually start, he's an old man, Um, talking about what he used to do when he was young. And the ranch, the Flying Leap Ranch, (laughs) specializes in hosting women in town to get divorces. Now, remember in the 1920s and 30s, in in America at least, it was really difficult to get divorced just about everywhere except Except in Nevada, Right? (laughs) which is, you know, except in Nevada should probably be their state motto. No (laughs) offense. Um, You really just had to be a resident of Nevada and go before a judge and get a, get a divorce. divorce. And to become a resident of Nevada, you just had to live there for six weeks. So these ranches sprung up that would cater to couples getting divorced. You'd go, you'd have a six-week vacation, basically, staying on a ranch. These are real things. Um, and you'd go out fishing and hiking and horseback riding or go into town to go shopping. And at six weeks in a day, you could go in front of a judge with your lawyer and get your divorce and go back and Marry your next wife or your next husband or whatever. So that's the premise of this story. It takes place over one of these six weeks divorce seasons, basically. Um... And I should say the Nevada divorces were referred to as six-week cures back in the day. Now, these are mostly women characters in this book, aside from Ward. Um, They're primarily pending divorcees, and they're the usual types you would see in this kind of ensemble, right? Um, There's the tall, striking blonde who flies in on her own airplane, and she brings this irrepressible sense of adventure, and who has been through this rodeo before. She's actually on her second divorce and will probably be a repeat customer. Um, There's the young, beautiful woman. Wife who, in a snap decision, drove all the way from San Francisco in one day and seems to be already having second thoughts about whether she d- should divorce her husband. And then other women who are just in various stages and various motivations. Um, now, I should say, Julia's own father actually worked on a dude ranch in the 1930s. So that was part of the inspiration for this book. And she mentions that he met his first wife on a dude ranch, which was a no-no. Um, she, he was her second out of five husbands or second out of six husbands. So, um, you know, there <laughs> there was some reality in the basis for this here. Um, you know, when I read before meeting her, I read interviews with with the author and one of the interviewers asked, what do you want readers to get out of this novel? And it's a fun, fun novel. It's not a heavy novel at all. And what she responded, which I really liked, was two things. How much happiness in our lives depends on luck, Mm -hmm. which I think is true. And that, that, um, you know, how little chance anyone has at winning the game of life if they don't pull up a chair. And participate which is something I try to say to people a lot yeah. if you want to be part of the conversation you got to be at the table um, and and just go for it I mean what's the worst that could happen right you get divorced um, so yeah the book is just fun it's witty it's engaging it's easy to read it's got a great cast of characters it's like you're sitting down to dinner with a bunch of people you want to hear more about um, and it moves it was like a 1930s screwball comedy movie. Mm-hmm. The, the dialogue is witty, it's quick, yeah. it's snappy and really well turned. and um, the ending is satisfying, so yeah, that's, that's better luck next time by Julia Claiborne Johnson.
1: It was a really fun book to read, I have to say. And it'd be I, the, the screwball comedy is a perfect description, I think. Like you, were, like you were just saying it's just <laughs> Lucia ball all over this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See you're casting the book I am, again. I, am. I wouldn't mind seeing this turn into a movie. I asked her I asked. Mm-hmm. I asked her if it had been optioned and she said not yet. But, you know, if any high-profile producers are listening, they should look at this yeah. book.
1: Yeah, Reese Witherspoon, if you're listening, check this book out. Woman-driven novel. Yeah. yeah
0: there you go. But it was great. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's my second pick. Dave, what's, what's your second pick?
2: So uh, my my second pick is Vespa Flights by Helen Macdonald, um, and I, I was also really looking forward to reading this one because I really liked H is for Hawk, mm-hmm. which was a huge seller. Um, I don't know if did either of you read. No, but I heard her interviewed many
0: times when that book came out because it seemed to like launch her into a lot of people's awareness. Right, uh,
2: it was her first. Her first book. Um, so, anyway, Vesper Flights is its a collection of forty-one essays, mostly focused on nature and our relationship with nature, or her relationship with nature. Um, and in in the brilliant introduction, uh, she likens the collection to a sixteenth-century cabinet of curiosities or cabinet of wonders. And these were these eclectic mixes of all things that. The owners found interesting. Right. You know, taxidermy, um, rocks, feathers, Mm -hmm. artifacts, all kinds of stuff that they would make these cabinets of curiosity. And so she writes that this book is full of strange things and it is concerned with the quality of wonder. Um, and to rejoice in the complexity of things, her writing is absolutely fantastic you you will really like it she 's yeah. also a poet right yes yeah. she's also yeah. a poet
1: but these are essays mm-hmm. okay
2: i was I was planning to send you one of them, but i couldn 't figure out how to do it without typing it all out <laughs> and I'm really so, so That's all right we will grab a copy in that book there um, and so the essays uh, cover a wide ranging eclectic mix of topics ranging from a wild boar encounter to migraines to mushroom hunting um, and to the bizarre tale of Britain's chief spy um, (laughs) trying to tame a cuckoo. Um, It's all kinds of really interesting things. Um, As you might expect, there are a lot of ornithological essays. Birds are Mm her main thing, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, including Vesper Flights, which provides the title. Um, so v- Vespa Flights is about swifts, the mm-hmm. little swift birds. Mm-hmm. And this is a, in quotation from it, and creatures of the upper air and of their nature unintelligible, which makes them more akin to angels. Hmm. Unlike all other birds, they never descend to the ground. Wow. Did you know that? I I no, I did not. You know find know out that. all kinds of really interesting things. Hmm. Imagine never, you know, once never you start flying, him. you never stop. Um, <laughs> it's like sharks anyway, who don't I, stop swimming, right? I can,
1: I, I can think of so many questions right now, but probably not appropriate. <laughs> all right, well,
2: um, okay, so I found myself rereading many of her sentences uh, because they were so beautifully written, like mm-hmm. you were saying with Lauren Graff. Mm-hmm. Um her I mean it is it's like poetry, some of some mm-hmm. of it. Um most of it actually. Um, so there's another one called Flying Ant Day. And I I just took down a lot of um mm-hmm. quotes from mm-hmm. this. And this is the day I don't, they probably do that. The, ants do the same thing here, probably. This is in England, she's English. Mm-hmm. Um when you see clouds of ants mm-hmm. um, flying up. They just do it on the left side of the road in one country or right. on the right side of the exactly. End. Yeah. Um, and they go clockwise. <laughs> um, so on Flying Ant Day, the Ant Queens take flight, releasing pheromones to lure the randy worker drones into a last <laughs> fatal act. And the rising column of ants attracts hungry birds. And the warm airspace becomes tense with predatory intent, and the tiny hopes of each rising ant. Wasn't that, isn't that a great <laughs> turn of phrase? Um, it's got it's got humor and pathos and tragedy all, all right in and one. On. Sense. And yes, and the, she does that a lot. It's it's some of it's very humorous, yeah, and it's really poignant. Um, and so she's a very keen observer of the wonder and beauty and connectedness of the natural world um and it's in it's it's a real pleasure to read her um, and reread read is her there sentences.
1: is there a through line be- that connects all the stories or just that they all relate to birds in some way not necessarily okay. birds okay
2: um there it's more that sense of wonder oh, got it. um in the natural mm-hmm. world. And not actually, there are some that are not really about this. There's, there's one on um, a, um, a migrant, um, someone who comes from northern Africa okay. into Europe, mm-hmm. into, to England. Um, and she ties that to migrations for okay. so birds where wow. there are no national borders. Okay. Birds mm-hmm. can yeah, just fly right. straight over.
1: They don't have to have passports um,
2: They don't have passports. Yeah. No, no. Um, so, uh, some of the stories are very poignant like that. And there's this inevitable sadness at what we are losing at an alarming Mm -hmm. rate. Um, and, um, I've, I've put some more quotes, but I'm not going to read them. Um, uh, and so one thing she does say, she, we're living through the world's sixth extinction, one caused by us, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which is true. Yeah. Yeah. And the landscapes around us grow emptier and quieter each passing year. And literature can teach us the qualitative texture of the world. And we need it to. We need to communicate the value of things so that more of us might fight to save them.
1: Yeah. Wow, it's beautiful. She seems to be very akin to um, Barbara King Sol- Solver, you know, who in all of her fiction mm-hmm. is very. You know, into the climate change. You know, I mean, that's kind of like her theme, right? Through natural, all of her books,
0: brings the natural world into right. her stories. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it sounds to me, Dave, like this would be a book that would appeal to a lot of us who live in the Eastern Sierra because we right. live here for a reason, and mm-hmm. part of it is to be inspired and awed by by nature. nature. It also seems like she's part of this. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to say it's a growing group of writers or a growing genre, but certainly one that's become more visible in recent years, along with like Robert McFarlane and Merlin Sheldrake and others who write about these natural things in the, in the context of, you know, the impacts that humans have on it and why we should really understand them better and be more just in
2: awe of what Mm -hmm. nature has to offer. I've, I've noticed that with um, David Attenborough's Mm. series Mm -hmm. as well, he becomes more and more, um, Concerned with that side of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've seen all of his. Uh, I really
1: like, and, it. Yeah. and we all should be concerned. Yes, because I mean, just like this author says, it's we're we're creating this, mm-hmm. and only we can stop it. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, and probably a lot of it we don't even aren't aware of until someone like this brings it to our attention, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. who really stops to think about the rising column of little flying ants, ants trying to right. start new colonies and the birds that would naturally. Go after them. Right. It's not something that crosses your mind no. every day, no. and she presents it in a way that is provoking, thought mm-hmm. provoking.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure.
2: Great. I think I think you'll really, really like that. Awesome. Yeah. It's a sort of book you can dip into as well because right. there's lots so of little essays. So yeah, you could read one every night mm-hmm. before before you sleep,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you're awake all night concerned about what. Yeah. <laughs> well, my next book couldn't be more different. Good. Than either one.
0: <laughs> what, will it keep us awake at night? S-
1: no, okay. not at all. So this, we've talked about this one on the podcast before, mm. Malibu Rising by Yay. Taylor Jenkins Reed, came out, published on June 1st, 2021. I bought it that day. I remember. I love her. I love her books. Um, so this takes place in basic, basically in August of 1983. I'm not going to tell you how old I was then because it'll age me. Um, and the Riva family, which is um, four siblings, who are all have a, three of whom have a variety of fame and notoriety. They throw a big party every year, and it's like a famous party, and paparazzi come, and it's it, this huge party in Malibu. Um, but the story. Shifts back and forth between the siblings' history and how they came to be and then and then the party that that's taking place on this day. so about two thirds of the book goes back and forth in time, and then the last third is about the party taking place mm-hmm. and um you know, I I love this book because I lived in Santa Monica and spent a lot of time in Malibu in the late 80s. And so I kind of knew where she was talking about and when she would take them to certain places. So that was that was kind of fun to be able to really picture that. And what unites the four siblings is surfing. You know, they grew up in Malibu. So they all they all surf and I heard an interview with Taylor Jenkins Reid, who who is so much younger than I thought she was. I was shocked. I called you, Christopher. I thought she was like in her 60s or she's (laughs) like 12, but she's really, she's just such a good author, Um, but she, she does such a good job of providing the... The context in the description of the the surf and, and the act of surfing, right. and considering she is not a, has never surfed in her entire life, I I don't know she must have interviewed a ton of surfers and you know to really get that immersed experience. And as somebody who has surfed, I could really you know relate to what it feels like to how how cleansing it mm-hmm. is to be in the water when you're going through stuff and that's kind of where the siblings come together when things are going wrong, they have like a group surf and they work out all their problems and right. and then of course the party comes and it is chaos and a, you know, just what you would think a Hollywood type party would be and it's, it's great fun to read. And she just does a, another... She hit it out of the park again. This yeah. book has been optioned. I believe it. By one of the people. Mm-hmm. I think by Reese, Reese Witherspoon, actually. I'm not entirely sure. But um, So it'll be interesting to see what the movie comes out like. Um, I did read some one review of the book that said this was like um, Daisy Jones and the Six Meets, and I can't remember whatever the other... <laughs> Maybe it was endless summer, I think was, oh, okay. which is a famous surfing right movie story so um yeah it was it's really great it's I read it in one weekend it's really fast paced each chapter talk goes back and forth in time between history and the present there's um the sibling's father who who did you thought he was like Tom Jones or mm-hmm. I thought he was like Elvis or Frank Sinatra <laughs> or, you know, some, he's it's a pop singer. He's a pop singer. You know, you could imagine him on the stage in Vegas with the tie, you know, loose and, you know, mm-hmm. with cocktail in his yeah. hand and the cigarette and the other. But um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to read. And if yeah. you want to get some escape time, it's it's not it's it's a little heavier than a palate cleanser, but it's
0: it was a great summer book. It I was think. it was, and for those of us of a certain age, and I'm not giving you anything away about those of us in this room. There's a little bit of the nostalgia, yeah. You know, for this for the time setting because many of yep. us. That was an influential part of our time. Right. And so she gets all that right, even Mm -hmm. though she's younger than us. Yeah. And I also just, I told people, this is a book you read. You're set on the California, right on the California waterfront, and you can smell the surf. Yeah. It really does. That's how good she is at setting the scenes.
1: She is. It's and she's a really fun person to watch being interviewed. She's very vivacious, and she has Taylor Jenkins Reed, That is, she has a background in. And she was a talent agent and worked for a talent agency, so she really has her pulse on what it, how, what celebrities mm-hmm. are like, right? Right? Yeah. So great, great follow up. You know, I think it was probably really hard for her to follow up Daisy Jones and the Six, which was such a huge 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 book and now the seven husbands of evelyn hugo is having a resurgence thanks to tiktok it's all over tiktok and to so to follow those two books up with with such a great novel you know more power to her we'll see what she does next great yeah for sure loved it
0: are people buying this dave or buying her books
1: uh yes
2: yeah not as uh not quite as much as the your your last pick so I, I I pick Bradway.
1: all like the the books that everybody reads. I'm <laughs> like not really. <laughs> deep.
0: No, that's that. I'm not taking that insulting at all. No one reads my books.
1: <laughs> I do.
0: Oh, thank you. All right. Well, let me go with my next one. Maybe I'll win with this okay, next one. Okay. All right. So um, this is the last novel I'm recommending, uh, uh, at least for this particular episode, by Anthony Doerr, who many people will recognize from All the Light We Cannot See, which was a wonderful book club book. This is a cloud cuckoo land. And I noticed you used the word cuckoo when yeah. talking about Vesper flights. Um, Cloud Cuckoo Land, it's an actual phrase that is used, you know, when you're referencing someone just being completely out of time and space. Oh, they're living in Cloud Cuckoo Land. They don't know reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Anthony Dorr takes this phrase and actually turns it into a very compelling story in a way only he can do. He is great at. Crafting multiple plots that intersect with each other and they play with each other and they wrap around each other, he did that great with all the light we cannot see and he does it again with Cloud Cuckoo land um, by juxtaposing three separate plots at three separate periods of time um, two young girls well a young girl really should say um, in the 14th century, the siege of Constantinople when it was falling to, um, the Turks. And it was like the last bastion of quote unquote Christianity in the East. Um, and it was just perennially under siege. She grew, this girl is 14 years old. She's never known her life, not, Um, being under siege. She's never been outside the city walls until at one point um, she's co-opted to go with another young guy and raid this old convent or monastery that has books in it, because there are some Italian book peddlers in town who want get old manuscripts this was at the time of the birth of the renaissance where they were rediscovering a lot of classical writers and this place apparently had a bunch on the shelves and they were going and pilfering them um and then the next story is set in modern day there's a guy who she finds a manuscript i should say that's cloud cuckoo land um the next story that he juxtaposes is a guy in modern day idaho who works at a library so to say which you know which is you know pleasing to us librarians set some of the the novel in a library and he has actually spent his life studying this manuscript and you find out why in the book but he's created a little children's play out of it and so he's developing a library program with some kids at the small town in Idaho with this play. And there's a teenager who comes in and interjects and creates some drama in that particular storyline. And then the third storyline is this young woman who is on a spaceship in the future, traveling to another planet because earth has, you know, given up the sixth extinction <laughs> has happened. They need to go repopulate another, another planet somewhere. And so it's a very long journey and all of earth's, Knowledge has been put into a computer, artificial intelligence again, mm-hmm. and created this virtual library. And this young girl who has never set foot outside of the spaceship, not unlike the young girl in 13th century Constantinople has never set foot outside of town, um, spends her time in the library of the spaceship. And she discovers this manuscript. I'm not going to tell you more about the manuscript there because that's part of the plot. Right. But I will tell you, this is a very unlikely thing. You're, I'm describing it to people you are going, huh? But he makes it work. And he does it in a very powerful, compelling, emotional way. Parts of the book are really joyous. Parts of the book are really compelling. Um, and all the way through, it makes you think. And all the way through, you're like, how does he get these stories to intersect in really unique do you, ways.
1: do you find out at the end how they all come you, together? You
0: kind of do. You get the you get the through line. Okay. At the end, and he's one of those authors. We've talked about other authors like this mm-hmm. who he writes in short chapters. This is how you can get get away with three different storylines right. happening right. in yeah. your mind. And so you're constantly moving, and the chapters pick up pace towards the end. So you're you are racing to the end of this book, um, as he is dragging mm-hmm. you to it. So. Um, and at the, you know, at the end, it's a very satisfying ending. It's 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 thought provoking. It's not what you expect, um, and it's hard to describe it without giving away the plot. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I will tell you, <laughs> he de- dedicates the book at the beginning to all the librarians who have uh-huh. ever been, and all the librarians who ever will be, or something like that. Which, of course, Yay. won him the hearts of every librarian in North America. Of course, so he's been on the the conference circuit, <laughs> plugging <laughs> this book. But like Lauren Groff's book, this has been a book that has gotten like just rave reviews right and left. And a lot of people are talking about it and he's a great author to go and listen to him talk about it.
1: Was this nominated for a national book? Award? Was this on the same short list?
0: It was. Thank you for reminding me. It was on the same short list That's that Lauren Groff was on and, and he yeah. didn't win, but he was, again, was, um, he was in good company. Our yeah.
1: books never win. <laughs>
0: But they're in good company, right? But this is Anthony Doerr. I think it will be another great book club book, like Mm -hmm. All the Light We Cannot See, just because it's very well crafted and beautifully written, and it makes you think for a long time afterwards. It's Cloud Cuckoo Land, and it's just out. We have copies at the library, and I'm sure every bookstore has a copy as well. It's also, if you're thinking of gifting good, thick books to friends this holiday season, it's probably a good inch and a half thick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a big one. It's a big one. You get to spend some time with this one.
1: You can build your biceps and when build you're walking your biceps. around with
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good long listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if yeah. you're listening to it
1: okay.
2: or, you know, it's a multiple cups of hot chocolate book.
1: <laughs> sounds great.
2: What's your next one, Dave? Okay. Um my next one is something com- and now for something completely different. <laughs> um <laughs> this uh this is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Um I know it sounds like a Catholic school term paper, but <laughs> it's actually, um, have you read that one? Have you read it? No, I have not. Oh, we have, okay. One okay. of our guests has recommended it, in the yeah. past, so we're a little familiar with it. Yeah. So it's um, what you would call hard sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, and it's his third published novel, um, and I would say um, a lot uh, better than his second one, Artemis, mm-hmm. which was Disappoint. Did you read mm-hmm. Artemis? It was, it, I thought it was pretty disappointing. Um, but this one is is a return to form. Anyone who liked The Martian would oh, like
1: this. I love this, that I movie.
2: The movie was great I love the too. movie. The movie was, was really good. And this will be a movie. This, <laughs> this uh, is going to be a movie? About, okay. You know, it's already optioned. And wow. um, I could tell you who's playing the main character, but I don't, I don't like to do that because you always think of the actor when right. you – but it's, already, it's going to be made. That's awesome. Um, and so, anyway, uh, fans of The Martian will find a lot of it familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, a lone astronaut battles impossible odds in a terrifying fight for survival in space. Uh, this time, however, the mission is far grander um, and the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's existential, <laughs> um,
1: the states. Sounds very thought-provoking.
2: Yeah, Well, yeah, maybe. The Martian um, was a little existential. It was. Yes. Um, so the main protagonist in this is Ryland Grace, who wakes up from a, an induced coma with amnesia. He's hurtling through space millions of miles from, from the, uh, Earth in his tiny spaceship. So he has to find out in pretty short order who he, he is, he doesn't know who he is, um, what he's doing there, uh, where he is, and why there are a couple of dead bodies in oh. close proximity to him. Oh, what a great setup. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's like that's... the first page uh, starts <laughs> off. Um, and we learn through a series of flashbacks, um, kind of like Memento. Did you mm-hmm. see movie? I love Memento. that movie, yeah. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. Um, that he in this last-ditch Desperate attempt to save mankind from an imminent extinction event, hence Project Hail Mary. Interesting. Got it. The, Love um, it. So um, Andy Weir uh, ratchets up the tension by throwing a succession of ridiculously difficult <laughs> and dangerous problems um, at Ryland, <laughs> who has only his wits and his expertise and a pretty good sense of humor to aid him um he, uh, he is quite similar to mark watney in the martian mm-hmm. um f- for a lot of those reasons um but um you know his incredible aptitude for problem solving under intense pressure um but unlike him he's more of a an everyman mm. and almost thrown in to this extreme dilemma almost by accident um i won't give it away by like telling you
0: mm-hmm.
2: why I'm saying that. Um, and then partway through this, the book, um, it takes this left turn in a different sort of direction. Um, again, I won't tell you what it is. <laughs> part of it. Um, so uh, you shouldn't worry if you're a, a big fan of particle physics because this is sci fi heavy on the sci. Yeah. Um, Andy Weir is a big science nerd. And he makes the science part credible, um, at least to someone like myself who knows nothing about subatomic physics um, or astrobiology. (laughs) Um, But... um, He gets the details right. Yes. I think it seems like he does. And
1: do you you feel like you're going down like into a sinkhole when he gets to the physics part? Um,
2: I skimmed a little
1: bit of it. Okay. All right. I
2: was a bit skimmy on that. Got it. Um, (laughs) Okay. But... uh, I suspect that most people will read it for the relentless edge-of-your-seat tension, mm-hmm. the pl- numerous plot twists. Um, it's definitely a page-turner. Um, awesome. There's humor, likable characters, mm-hmm. and it's uh, ultimately quite moving. Um, it's a story of resilience, ingenuity, um, and the power of friendship. Oh, interesting.
1: This Believe is on me. my short list is to it? read. Yeah, and the only thing that's been keeping me from is this. i'm afraid of it's going to be so sciency that it's going to lose me but now i think i'm going to go for it it's not
2: you, you know you can you can kind of speed read a little bit okay. yeah
1: okay good
2: <laughs> right. yeah. and maybe learn something i, I like
1: love it. the martian the book and the movie yeah, yeah. so i that's didn't great. read his second book but yeah i want to read this one for yeah sure. the second one was i'll skip it yeah sorry andy <laughs> If you're listening.
2: It was okay. And that's going to be a movie too, actually. Articles. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: It might that's... be a better movie than the, the book.
1: That's hard to do.
2: That is hard to do. Yeah.
1: That's great. Okay. So my next book, another, it's on the bestseller list right now. I just finished it. It's called Apples Never Fall. Leanne Moriarty published, came out September 21st of this year. Everyone's reading it. Everyone's reading it. Everybody's optioning it. It's you know, it's great, and if you are, if you have read Leanne Moriarty's other books, there are lots and lots of them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't disappoint here, although it's very different than her other her other books, um, which was refreshing. Um, so basically, there's a couple, Joy and Stan. They are reti- recently retired from owning a tennis club, Mm -hmm. tennis lesson place. I don't know what you call those.
2: Rocket club.
1: Racket club, whatever. So they gave tennis lessons. They, you know, they're, they're very good players themselves, but they're recently retired. And one night, this stranger named Savannah knocks on their door and she's bleeding and bloody and bruised. And she's like, I need help. My boyfriend beat me up. So they take her in and she's like, takes over their lives and then all of a sudden one day joy the the wife goes missing hmm. and so this is where the mystery the suspense of leanne moriarty's other books this is where that comes in here um she again character driven she does a great job of explaining who who her characters are stan and joy have four children hmm. they're all at various levels of success if you will they're all grown children and the the chapter shift between then and now so as you're going through the story you get the background and the context for why the detectives are asking the types of questions that they're asking and 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 how the how it's playing out and um you know the kids all have their own suspicions you know and but they don't always get along with each other, so there's a lot of infighting amongst them, and it it was just really fun to read, really great.
0: So the so the kids, I'm thinking. So I haven't read the book, but I've probably seen the cover a gazillion times by now. And right. The cover is a row of apples, yes. as you would expect, and the phrase "apple doesn't fall fall far, far from, from the, the tree. tree." So yeah. it's clear that that is it clear, or am I reading too much into it that that one or more of the four kids is.
1: You're reading too much into uh, okay. it. Yeah, it's right. it's more it's more surfacey than that. Okay, but um, it it resol- the plot resolves itself in a very surprising way. And right. of course, you know, as as you're reading this book or as you're reading any of her books, you're trying to piece through. Well, who did it? You know, or what what's really going on here? And you're drawing your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. And she always comes up with something different, like, that you wouldn't have thought of, and she's, I, you know, I, I really need to look her up on YouTube and see what she's like in interviews and things like that, because she's kind of cheeky, you know, <laughs> maybe it's, she's Australian, maybe it's being from Australia, but, um, you know, she has this, there's, like, a sense of humor underneath it all, mm-hmm. you know, that, She's pl- like she's playing with you. That's and awesome. It was it was really fun and really just a, a great read. And I didn't fly through it by any means, mm-hmm. but I've looked forward to reading it every night. You know when it was time to go to bed. And, it's nice to have a book like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was just super fun. That's so, awesome. And I'm sure it will be optioned by somebody <laughs> soon. <laughs>
0: Reese, or uh, one of the others,
1: yes, yeah, well, she, so Leanne Moriarty, she helped write the screenplay for Big Little Lies, right, which actually took another season beyond the book, and she helped write this the screenplay for that. So um you know, I think she's getting very Hollywood, yeah. but but her writing hasn't lost its its humor, it's, you know, and his the ability to tell a good story
0: and to surprise.
1: Yeah, that's so great. I liked it. It was fun.
0: People buying it, Dave? Uh, yes, yes. As that's you good.
1: would
2: expect. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And it's it's not even in paperback yet, so that's good that people are buying it. Well, Very it's nice. it's
2: on the bestseller list. Yes. So, yeah. Um, you get the you know twenty percent off for, for bestsellers. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's why. <laughs>
1: Good to know. And
2: because it's a good book. Yes. And because it's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, my last
0: book that I'm going to recommend today is the only nonfiction I brought this time. I normally read a lot of nonfiction, but um, this last year, as as I've said before to people, you know, uh, during the pandemic, I had a harder time concentrating on some books and nonfiction paid a Mm -hmm. price. This one helped me lift out. This is Below the Edge of Darkness by Edith Witter. The subtitle is A Memoir of Exploring Light in Life in the Deep. C now Witter is a marine scientist and she's a founder of the Ocean Research and Conservation Association and she spent her career since the seventies exploring and being endlessly fascinated by bioluminescence mm. uh, or light created by living things. Right. right. So you know the most common example of this for you and I is the firefly, which you can see at certain certain parts of the yeah. country at dusk um, that lights up. Increase kind of this magical atmosphere. But in the ocean, you find bioluminescent creatures that come in an astounding variety of shapes and sizes and at all depths, often surfacing at night to feed in the shallower waters, only to go deep again as the sun rises in what Witter calls the greatest mass migration on the planet each day. Wow. And this is stuff we learned in our generation, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is This is recent knowledge. She points out that so much of the world's ocean is still unexplored and not well understood. And when she first started doing deep diving in the 80s, it was thought that the deep ocean would be mostly impenetrable darkness. But to her amazement, what she discovered instead was what she describes as a firework show way down there cool. well, um, for a variety of different reasons. She went on to become the pioneer in exploration and understanding of bioluminescence in sea creatures from tiny little jellyfish to larger jellyfish to the giant squid. She's a great raconteur in this memoir. She's good at storytelling. She catches you at the beginning with a heart-stopping account of going deep in a single person submersible, only to discover there's this distinct noise that wasn't supposed to be there and it turns out to be a leak and she has to get back up to the top. So I won't give any more detail than that other than That she puts you on the edge of your sheet right at the beginning. She then also backtracks a little bit to when she was younger. She had an accident and illness that actually left her blind temporarily for a period of time. And that kind of opened up her fascination with sight and what Mm -hmm. sight means and light and darkness. Um, You know, so it kind of sets the stage for what she did it in her career. Now, what comes out of this book for me, apart from just the fascinating descriptions of discovering new bioluminescent creatures all over the world's oceans, is that her own sheer joy and utter fascination with her topic has clearly not faded over the decades of work she's been doing this. She never ceases to be amazed at what she sees, and she wraps that amazement around you, so you get to experience it. Too. Her enthusiasm and fondness um, kind of reminds me of Mary Roach, who we just talked right. about with Fuzz, mm-hmm. when nature breaks yep. the law. Mary Roach is great with footnotes that have funny little anecdotes in them, right. and she kind of keeps you chuckling through. Yeah. Well, Edith does similar, mm-hmm. not quite you know to the same extent of belly laughs, but... Um, it just kind of brings you, it kind of makes it approachable. It's a science topic, right? And she makes it approachable to you. So it makes it very readable. It also is really just an inspiring read. It, this is one of the reasons we chose to go to Monterey last week and visit the Monterey Bay Aquarium because they have that jellyfish exhibit yeah. and you get to learn all about this just Sitting mm-hmm. and watching little glow in the dark jellyfish. It's was, it was just amazing. So, um, I will also mention part of the book is she is the first person to capture on video a live giant squid at depth. These are those big giant creatures that live way down in the yep. darkness. Turns out there's a lot of giant creatures that live way down in the darkness that I learned about in this book. <laughs> um, so I really don't want to go, you know, gallivanting around the ocean floor anytime soon. But she was the first one to capture giant squid on wow. camera. Previously, people had only ever seen dead versions. as They come, they float to the top of the, and the, the water. The, are the giant squid bioluminescent? They have a degree themselves. Yeah, there's this is a surprising thing. There are, wow. there are two different kinds of bioluminescence. There's... Um, The kind that is generated by the creature themselves to help see or to see each other or to find, like glow in the dark jellyfish. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also like plankton, who the luminescent kicks in when they're touched or when they, like when a boat churns it up. You know, yeah. when you hear about those seas turning glowing when a boat goes through at night, you know, and that's a reaction. Yeah. It's all these details come out, a lot of fascinating stuff. It's very approachable for the average person like me. It's Below the Edge of Darkness by Edith Witter. I think this is, this is be a great nonfiction book club pick for people. And great. it's not very long. That's it. Cool. Yeah.
1: Did it make you want to go scuba diving?
0: You know, it kind of did, and we saw people scuba learning to scuba dive mm-hmm. when we were down in Monterey last week, so kind of, sort of, but I also kind of just have this, I have my own phobia around being yeah. in deep water, so I'd have to overcome that first. <laughs> well,
2: scuba diving, you can't go down that far. Really? Okay, you've scuba dived? Mm-hmm. There you go. You could only yeah. probably 30 f- 30- 40 meters, maybe. <laughs> which to you box. is nothing, the way you're saying it, but
0: to me is like, oh, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's your final pick, Dave? Okay, my last uh, final pick, and like like you, there were many other many other books I could have picked. Um, I I know I told you I was going to do Facing the Mountain, right. Which is great, but I decided not to at the last second. Um, it is Madhouse at the End of the Earth by oh, right. Julian Sancton. Um, And it is an account of the ill-fated 1897 Belgian expedition to Antarctica. Um, And fans of Endurance or In the Kingdom of Ice will love this book. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a true adventure story. Mm. Um, If you thought that the lockdown was tough, (laughs) you should read this for... Perspective. Um, so whereas uh, Endurance showed the value of the great, great leadership skills of Shackleton um, under the most exacting circumstances, mm-hmm. um, Madhouse highlights the dangers of having an, a poor leader, an experienced right. a poor, poor leadership. Um, so, the, uh, so the story is the, the expedition is led by Adrian de Gerlash Um, who's a Belgian, Mm -hmm. Um, and the aim of the expedition is to find the magnetic south pole, or at least venture as far south as they can to set the record for the furthest south. Um, Unfortunately, it was insufficiently funded, and the crew ended up being a mixed bag of multinational adventurers. (laughs) Many were inexperienced and often unruly and proved ill-equipped to deal with the horrendous struggle to come. So uh, de, de Gerlach um, finds... Uh, I should find out how to pronounce that properly. I may not be pronouncing <laughs> that correctly. You're offending every Belgian listening. Yes. Um, i be horrified. Uh, finds an old whaling ship, which actually turns out to be a remarkably resilient, um, and refits it for the arduous journey. Mm-hmm. He rechristened the Belgica. It sets sail from Belgium, stopping in Rio to pick up Dr. Frederick Cook, who's an American adventurer. Uh, Cook had previous experience of Arctic ex- exploration with Robert Peary, and his unfailing optimism and unorthodox medical practices prove invaluable. It's pretty unorthodox. Oh wow! Hmm. Um, Roald, A- Roald Amundsen was also the, an invaluable first mate, um, and he'd later become one of the most famous polar explorers of all time. Oh wow! Um, he's on. He's on the ship. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, though, the crew is hopelessly divided between the Norwegians and the Belgians. And four members are kicked off uh, in South America, in Punta Arenas, following an attempted mutiny. Oh, boy. The ship then runs aground off Tierra del Fuego oh, dear. in terrifying mm-hmm. circumstances, and a crew member is later swept overboard. All in all, things are not going well, <laughs> and they haven't even got there yet, um, Nevertheless, they persist heading south into this beautiful but really perilous world of ice. And um, the leader of the expedition um, deliberately steers the ship as far south as it will go for personal glory. Okay. And he gets stuck in the ice. The days shorten until it becomes an endless night, and they're stuck fast in the grip of this moving ice and never sure if it's just going to crush the boat oh, to, my to, to smithereens um and then the main part of this is when they're stuck there basically um and he chronicles how the crew deals with this predicament the monotony of copening in this incredibly hostile environment right um in perpetual darkness their descent into despair sickness exhaustion some cases madness wow um and he's very good at bringing the unusual characters vividly to life, uh, particularly Kirk and Amundsen. Um, and um, he doesn't spare the disturbing details that push the men to boundaries of human endurance and the brink of insanity. Wow. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like the Donner Party goes south. Right. Listen
1: yeah. to you
0: describe it. The
1: Donner Party goes to Antarctica.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Come with us. <laughs> I've always thought you would have to... Have some degree of insanity to embark on anything like that. Shackleton, Perry, any of them, yeah, of some degree. But this sounds like
1: and hubris, just, right? To think that a... they can, they can do that it safely and without incident. And I mean, you've got to have some guts, right? Yes. W- did they? Was it more like them? F- were they more fighting against each other or more fighting against the elements?
2: Um, a bit of both. Okay. It's kind of
1: both. Back and forth. Um,
2: and they um, they get scurvy, and um, even though they have limes, it, it yeah. turns out it didn't actually work after a certain amount of time.
1: Hmm. Wow! And They
2: end up eating um, each uh, other. Raw penguins. I hope
1: not each other. Penguins. Mm-hmm. Penguins.
2: So if you're a fan of penguins, probably. You know, <laughs> Like Any chicken. port in a storm. Yeah, <laughs> tastes like chicken. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's yeah. If you like that kind of book, if you like um, yeah, uh, true adventures, it's it's really interesting. Um, you know what people believed at the time and right. put up with. Right. So. Cool. It's good. Sounds good. It does sound good. What's your final pick? So
1: my final pick, I actually listened to this book and I wish I had read it and I still might go back and read it again, Okay, but it's called Mary Jane. It's by Jessica Anya Blau. It was published sometime in 2021 Mm -hmm. and I loved... I couldn't stop talking about you this did. book. You talked about I it a know lot. I drove you crazy. I'm sorry, but it was so good. So this book is set in the 1970s, the mid 70s. Mary Jane is a 14-year-old very sheltered young lady. Lives in a very strict conservative home where when they say their prayer before dinner, they include God bless the uh, president of the United States and his family. Mm. Very, you know, pro Government you know pro united States, all that kind of stuff um, it takes place in Baltimore, and Mary Jane has never really her favorite person to hang out with at the beginning of this story is her mother she there 's nobody else she 'd rather be with, but then she gets a respectable job as a summer girl or a nanny for a family down the street. The father is a doctor he 's a psychiatrist. And they have a little five-year-old named Izzy, who is just the best character I have read all year (laughs) long. I just loved, (laughs) I wanted to babysit her. She was so fun. But in any case, this family, although they look, it all looks very respectable from the outside. When you go inside, this another story. So these are very progressive parents. Izzy doesn't have any rules. Mary Jane can't believe it that the There's no food in the refrigerator. There's stuff everywhere. One of of her first activities with Izzy is, let's clean up your room (laughs) and get it all organized. Well, a week after she starts, the doctor pulls her aside and says, I have a client that's coming to live with me. That's why we need you here this summer. And um, the client turns out to be this famous rock star who is trying to dry out and get sober and his wife. And then it go the what this what these two couples and the influence of Mary Jane living in this house practically all summer, it changes her, and you know we just saw, we discussed this on the podcast yep. before, and it 's like that realization when you 're a kid and you go sleep over at somebody else 's house for the first time, and you see that they do things very differently than in your house. And it's like, how can that, how can it be? So, you know, throughout the whole book, Mary Jane is trying to, um, you know, she's, she's trying to wrap her mind around this other way of life where people are physically demonstrative, where they, they hug and kiss one another, where they say, I love you, where they, um, you know, they experiment with drugs and, and all that kind of stuff, and she's just never, even the music. Right. So this is a rock and roll star. She's never heard this guy's music before because all her parents listen to are Broadway show tunes. And right. That's all she knows. And so it's it's just a great coming-of-age story. I mean, I'm having grown up in a household that was extremely conservative and extremely strict, I really empathized with her and her eyes being open to this new way of thinking and how she grows. Um I couldn't get these characters out of my head for like a month after I read it. I just I just love this book and um if, if you are in a book club and you're looking for something to read, pick this one up because there is so much to unpack here, particularly if you grew up in the seventies, you will really, really relate to this book. The character, this is a little older than, than I am, you know, Mm. if you match the timeline up, but, um, still enough of the same references that you can relate to it. But Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau, favorite book of the year.
0: I, I liked it too, after you recommended it to me and it really is a it's a it's an inflection point in this young person's life, right? That's what coming of age means, right? Yep. And it's discovery, and it's going to affect her and how she grows absolutely going forward. And I love that she said it at that time, right? Mm-hmm. That was, you know, the Nixon era was ending and there's all that controversy. There right. was also this whole, you know, hippie movement is morphed yep. into this progressive kind of, there's a, alternate lifestyles and all that kind of stuff. We're really beginning to hit the zeitgeist at yep. that time. So she she picked the right time period to set the story in, I thought.
1: I thought so too. I mean, it just made the whole story so much richer, you know, because of all the, all the... Kind of extraneous conflict that was going on. It kind of paralleled with the conflict that was she was experiencing, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah. you
0: thought that the visiting rock star couple might be and
1: Baldwin. I, I still think that. Yes, <laughs> I, just the way that she describes the the rock star and his wife, it just that just kind of rang a, a bell for me, and um, yeah, I just it was just really just a really well, well done um, novel. So lots of fun.
2: Had you heard of that one, Dave? Um, I don't think we have this, no. Mm. What what was the author's name again?
1: Jessica Anya Blau, B-L-A-U. Yeah. And I think it's either her first or second novel. I mean, she's a fairly new, young author, and she hit it out of the park, I thought, with this one. And that little girl, the way she describes little girl... She reminded me of Tessa when Tessa was
0: five years old, five
1: years old, but um, just I she was irresistible. That's awesome, yeah. Well, I enjoyed the book too, so I think it's a oh, great I'm so, recommendation. I'm so happy that you read one of my picks that never happens. I'm oh, so excited. Many of your picks, oh.
0: we talked about will rising at any rate, <laughs> listeners. This is our third Top Picks of the Year episode. Thank you for joining us on this. Hopefully you've got uh, inspired by one or two of these titles or want to tell us some favorites of your own. We will list all of these titles on our show page. You don't have to have written them down. Um, you can always stop by the bookie joint in Mammoth, say hello to Dave in the flesh, and, and he will tell you all about the other 10 titles he wasn't able to put on the list <laughs> uh, because it is hard to do this. In the meantime, you can follow us on our Instagram account, oh, to starved our facebook page um you can comment reach out to us there or on our show page oxygen starved podcast.com where you can listen to the episode and also email us directly from that page have a safe holiday season you'll hear from us again before the end of the year but i hope you enjoyed these these uh these pics happy reading and until next time goodbye everyone
1: take care
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.